The sermon title is called Seven Marks of Grace Giving. So a church family, that could kind of gauge you as we move down the sermon on which point we're on. But we're seven marks on grace giving. And uh, this is what we're going to do. The first three points are going to take a little bit more time. And the final four, we're going to move somewhat quickly, okay? To begin our sermon now. I cannot read hearts, but... If you, were lent to, if you were to lend me your bank statement or your calendar, I think I'll be able to tell you where your heart is, what you love the most. Because how we spend our time and how we spend our money communicates to ourselves what is most important. And this is one of the big lessons that God gives us. There's biblical precedence for preaching on giving. The Bible speaks more about money than faith and prayer combined. Matter of fact, twice as much amount of ink is dedicated to the Bible on money more than faith and prayer. Jesus, in his teachings, in his preaching, talked more about money than heaven and hell. Therefore, it's critical that we, we talk and preach about giving and Jesus, let me make it very clear, Jesus nor the church is interested in your money. This is not the idea here, okay? This is not the idea. But Jesus is, in fact, interested in your hearts. And this is why we're preaching on giving. This is such a critical area, particularly in a, in a country that's enjoyed so much affluence. The stronghold over money, over our lives can be very strong. But this message is designed not necessarily to tell you how to give, although there'll be some practical helps at the end, but this message is really to see how the Lord frees us from the bondage to money and to wealth. And we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to take a break out of the Gospel of Mark. Guess typically we just go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to take a break today so we could preach on giving. 2 Corinthians 8. And as you're turning there, this is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Turn to the right a few more books, and you'll find 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. And this is the, mo the richest and most detailed portion which, which talks about giving in the New Testament, in, under, in the church age. A little bit of context, Jeru the Jerusalem church was going under some distress. They, were, ha they had physical needs that needed to be met. The Jerusalem church was needing more funds and more resources because the church was growing at a rapid rate. There were pilgrims that came to Jerusalem who became saved, and now the church is burdened with a lot of care needs. And so Paul takes up a collection throughout the churches in the area that he, he set up, all the churches that he set up. And the Corinthian church is a church that said, yes, we will love to give to this. We will love to support our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So 2 Corinthians is written about a year later, and now Paul is following up on that promise that the Corinthians made to support the Jerusalem church. We're going to stay, we're going to remain seated. This is a longer portion of scripture. Typically, guess we rise to honor the reading of God's word, but I'm going to go ahead and read the, uh, the whole chapter, 24 verses. So if you're able to, have your Bibles open up, 2 Corinthians 8, or you have your phones open up, it's much easier to follow the sermon because basically I just go, I march down from verse 1 to 24 in this sermon, and as I do every sermon. God's word out of 2 Corinthians 8 says this, 
Now, brothers, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the church of Macedonia, that in a great testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the richness of their generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the grace of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we encouraged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and word and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And I will give my opinion in this matter, for this is profitable for you, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now complete doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire, to, to, to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it from which you have. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the relief of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, as he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our plea, but being himself very earnest, he has gone out to you of his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose praise in the things of the gospel is throughout all the churches. And not only this, but he also has been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this, great, in this gracious work that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. Taking precaution lest anyone discredit us in our ministering of this generous gift. For we respect what is good, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with him our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many things, but now even more earnest because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Verse 24. Therefore, open before the churches Show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Help us to treasure him more. Lord, would you guard my heart from sin? Allow me to be a pure vessel as I preach. I pray your spirit will allow us to have Christ become bigger in our hearts. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Seven marks of grace giving. Grace giving, point number one, is sacrificial. Point number one, sacrificial. 
Verse one says, now brothers, we make known to you the grace of God. Being sacrificial is a grace of God. To be able to give graciously, generously, abundantly, it's a grace of God. Not, not one of us could say, I am generous because of myself. It is a grace of God. If you are a generous person, and we have many generous people here in our church family, it's only by the grace of God. Verse 2, that in the great testing by affliction, their abundance and joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the richness of their generosity. The Macedonian churches, this is the Philippian church, the Thessalonian church, the Berean church, these churches were up in northern Greece. And these churches were poor. They were devastated through wars, through persecution. They had gold mines at one time, but now they've been plundered and these churches were left with little. This is northern Greece and Paul planted these churches and they wanted to give. They didn't have much. They were giving sacrificially. They said, unto the richness of their generosity. And so right here, this is talking to the churches of Macedonia. And as Pastor Jeremy talked about, if you're not a Christian, this message is not for you. We're just happy that you're here. You're our guest. Please enjoy being with us. Please be edified through the preaching of his word. But this charge to give is for Christians who've experienced the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who know upon death we'll be in heaven with him someday. And in verse 3, it says, it says this, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially. They were generous towards the Jerusalem church, people that they'd never even met, to Jewish Christians perhaps mostly. And these are perhaps mostly Gentile Christians, so there's no color lines. They're like, yes, they're Christians. They're our brothers and sisters. We need to give. This was their heart. And I find it interesting, and perhaps as you sit there, you're thinking the same thing. At times, those who are poor, those who don't have as much are more generous with those than those who have a lot, who have plenty. Perhaps you know friends like that. Perhaps you're like that. Why is that? And as I thought about this, I believe those who have been under trial could relate or empathize or have compassion for those who are going through hard times. The Philippian church, the Thessalonian church, struggling. And when they hear that the Jerusalem church is struggling too, their hearts are broken. So, no, no, we need to come alongside our brothers and sisters because they can relate. They can understand what it means to go without food. They can understand what it means to go without clothing and housing. As war displaced many of the families, they could relate. Perhaps right now you're sitting here and you're a generous brother or sister because you've been through many things. And when you hear of needs, your heart breaks because you could relate. For those of us who've been graced to have certain level of comfort, certain level of ease, it may be a little bit more difficult to relate to those who are going through harder times. And so the Thessalonians, the Bereans, the Philippians were graced to be super generous. And they gave sacrificially. They felt the pinch. They gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. Now what does this mean? Like you may be sitting here 
Does that mean I get to eat? Does this mean I get to, you know, buy a car or, or buy a house? Of course. 1 Timothy 5 says, you're worse than a non-believer if you don't take care of your own household. Certainly, Christian, you are to care for your family, okay? This is not talking about taking a vow of poverty. This is not, nowhere in the scriptures is it commanded for a Christian to take a vow of poverty. Think strategically now. The monies that God has given you, how are you using it to disciple your family? It may be best to disciple a family by living in a certain place. It may be best to disciple your family to send them to a private uh, school or, or to university. Praise God. In your knowledge, this is the best way for me to disciple my son or daughter into uh, Christ-likeness. It may be strategic to take that family vacation, of course. Enjoy what the Lord has given you. This is not that. This is not to make you feel bad for enjoying what God has given you. Praise God. Enjoy what the Lord has given you. But this is talking about sacrificial giving. Think through what is not strategic in your spending, in discipling your family, and discipling people around your neighborhood, and think through what you could do without. I've heard stories from our church family from years past where people were giving faithful to, faithfully to their church, perhaps holding off and buying that new car because their car ran just fine. Literally, I've heard those type of stories, and I'm grateful for those type of stories. Perhaps you're in that situation, right? What can you do without is what we're thinking about. There is a disease of coveting. There is a disease of coveting, and uh, that's, we're talking about hoarding, being greedy, perhaps even keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, right? Keeping up with the community, and Thomas Watson, a Puritan, writes about this way before modern technology, way before things that were uh, in vogue today. But this issue has been around for centuries, and, and, and it says it's not unique to our time. Thomas Watson writes, it is a subtle sin. Talk about coveting. It's sin that many do not discern well in themselves. As some have the scurvy of the disease, yet do not know it. This sin can dress itself in the attire of virtue. It is called the cloak of covetousness. Covetousness is a sin that wears a cloak. It cloaks itself under the name of frugality. I need to save. I need to save. And good husbandry. I need to steward. I need to provide. Right? That's what it's cloaked under. It has many pleas and excuses for itself. More than any other sin, Thomas Watson writes, as a providing for one's family, other things, etc., the more subtle the sin, the less discernible. This is where Thomas Watson really hits at the point of it. Are we being wise? Are we being strategic with our monies? Or are we just hoarding? Right? I mean, he, he's very well aware of this hundreds of years ago. I want to address the college and the youth. You are the ones who are perhaps in poverty right now, right? We understand this. We understand this, right? And perhaps you don't have an income. Understand it's a really part-time situation. Understand you have help pay for tuition. We understand this. But the Macedonians were in deep poverty, deep poverty. And you might as well start now in worshiping God through grace giving. And Bible says if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. In some ways, you'll be preparing your heart to handle some wealth and more wealth someday by just giving right now. 
And it's not even about the mountain. It's the act of sacrifice. It's an act of trusting God right now. So when there's other things that come up later on, and perhaps you'll be making the income to support your family and all that, greater demands, greater burdens, more money, yeah, you just, this is what you do. This is how you worship the Lord. You've learned to trust him in it. So my encouragement, college and youth, why not? Why not? And certainly this is not going to necessarily change the church or anything like that, but this is more for your own soul care. I, that's the reason why I say that. Many people have said, oh, once I start earning money, then I'll do it. Well, actually, I think it's harder. Actually, I think it's harder. If, as stakes get higher in your life, and I think it's easier, faithful now, you'll be faithful later, God willing. Okay? So let's go to point number two. Grace giving is sacrificial, but also it's self-willed. Verse three, second portion says this, they, they gave of their own accord. Verse four, begging us, begging, Paul, please let me, let us participate. I know we're poor and I don't want really to have much, but please let us participate. Begging us with much urging for the grace of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Grace giving is self-willed. It's not pressured by the pastor. It's not pressured by your family. It's not pressured by other people. It's, it's, it's internal. You want to do this. You want to do this. You're saying, let us be a part of this. Let us be part of this gospel work at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. I want to be part of this. In verse 5, it says, and this not as we had expected. This, this is your giving was beyond what Paul uh, thought. And right now, perhaps you're sitting here, maybe you're much older than the college person now. Perhaps you're even, even into retirement right now and you struggle with generosity. Maybe you don't struggle with your time generosity, but in terms of your resources, there's some type of a stronghold hold there. And you're thinking to yourself, I hear you, pastor, and I hear what the word says, but I do not want to give. I've always struggled with generosity. My family's always struggled with generosity. I have grandparents who struggle with generosity. Perhaps that's what you're thinking, right? Maybe. Perhaps you say, you're saying, I give because I have to give, right? Maybe even, but your heart right now is saying, how is it even possible? I want this desire. I want to beg like the Macedonians. How is this even possible? Well, verse 5 is a key verse here. Turn with me to verse 5. But, second part of verse 5, but they gave, first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. God graced them to give themselves to the Lord. God showed them that Jesus Christ, the Lord, is worth more than anything else. So they gave themselves to him. They, giving yourself to the Lord is not like a crazy exchange. If you truly understand who Christ is, he's worth more than anything else. Of course I'll give my life to you, Lord Jesus. You believe as an act of faith that he is the one that will take care of your eternity. To give yourself means to give yourself willingly, not forced. God does a work in your heart. It makes sense. And wow, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. He owns me now. This is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple means a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. So if you have not given yourself to the Lord, you're not a Christian. You have to know that your entire life is in God's hand. In other words, Jesus owns me. 
he owns all of me. That's what you should be thinking. Jesus Christ, you own all of me. My life, my time, my physical body, my family, my marriage, my children, my work, my money. You own it all. It's all yours. This is what it means to be a Christian. And like I said at the beginning, at the top of the sermon, the Lord is not coming after your money. He is not coming after your money. He is coming after your heart. That's what he wants. He's coming after your very soul. This is what he wants. And this is why the Lord used, talked about money more than anything else because he knows that this is a natural stronghold no matter what culture that you're a part of. The Corinthians dealt with this issue. They were rich in relativeness to the Macedonian church. He wants all of us. He wants all of you. He wants to set you free from the bondage of money. What does the Lord say? For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Not money, but the love of money is a, sort, a root of all sorts of evil. What does the Lord say? You cannot serve God in money. Clearly taught. These are, these are the teachings. You either hate the one and love the other. Who are you going to serve? Jonathan Edwards, perhaps the greatest American theologian that this country has ever known, talks about the affections. And the affections and, and how he describes the, our affections. What we love, in other words, are things, our internal inclinations of the soul that shapes our thoughts, emotions, and our actions. Meaning what we love, in other words, what we love the most shapes our attitudes, our priorities, our words, and our actions. The affections. In other words, who or what you love, you give to. Sam Storm, who wrote about Jonathan Edwards, writes, he has no rights in himself. No claim to autonomous freedom, as if he can arbitrarily determine what he will do with his body or his time or his mind or his talent or his money. God owns everything. This is what Jonathan Edwards believed. This is what the Bible teaches. Does Jesus Christ own everything in your life? The question is who or what owns you? Don't be like the rich young ruler. There's another teaching on giving by the Lord, who loved money more than Christ. He walked away sad, the Bible says. Are you, gonna, are you willing to walk away sad today, hearing about the glories of Christ, yet I just can't let it go? You see, Bible says that it's harder for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel, a massive camel, to go through an eye of a needle. That's a hyperbolic statement but it's true. It's harder for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, money is a great deceiver. Money will tell you, hey, you, you own me, but really the money actually owns you. That's the deception that, the, that money puts out for you. So have you given yourself completely over to the Lord? As you're sitting there right now, have you given yourself completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is there some area such as your wealth that you kind of hold that that's, that's my business, Lord? That doesn't work. If there is a genuine struggle with generosity, praise God that you are able to acknowledge that. I mean, internally before God, yes, I do struggle with giving. Repent, lay down this idol. Say, Lord, I don't want this. Help me. I believe, help me with my unbelief. 
Take small steps in giving, similar to what I exhorted the college and the youth to do. Take small steps. Prove to yourself that you don't need this or that. Prove to yourself that you could genuinely look in the mirror and say, all I need is Christ. Prove to yourself. Let's give ourselves fully to the Lord. As a Christian, you may ask, do I have to give to the church? You may be asking that. I, I, I didn't know I was supposed to or do I really have to? And really, this next point is gonna determine what we're talking about a little bit more, but it all depends on how you see the Lord Jesus Christ. If you see Jesus as a cheap payment for your sins, you'll probably say, I have to give. I have to give. If you see Jesus as infinitely priceless, God himself dying for your sins, I think slowly but surely you're gonna be able to say, I get to give. Yes, I get to give. And so, Point number three, grace giving is sacrificial. Grace giving is self-willed. And thirdly, grace giving is also savior motivated. Savior motivated. Paul sends Titus to the Macedonian church. I mean, sends Titus to the Corinthian church to encourage them to give now. Titus started the idea at first. He was the first messenger, I believe, and he, Paul sends Titus back to follow up with the Corinthian church. And really, just to explain to them, this is the greatest rags to riches story ever in the history of mankind. They say, Corinthians, you're spiritually bankrupt at one time. You had nothing. You're the enemies of God. You're slave to sin. You're headed towards destruction at one time. But then verse seven, Paul reminds him, but just as you abound or excel in everything, in everything, in faith, in saving faith and word, teaching, you excel in receiving great teaching and now you're a great teacher yourself and knowledge, meaning you excel beyond most churches in knowing the truth of God. And in all earnestness, meaning you're eager to serve and in the love we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work also. Paul's basically reminding them, you've been given every spiritual blessing, Corinthian church, Evergreen church, we've been given every spiritual blessing. In a lot of ways, we can relate to the Corinthians. We get good teaching by God's grace. We emphasize the word. We're just faithful men and women of our church. No question, people who love the Lord. This is the absolute truth. People who have a deeper knowledge of scripture than many. We have been abounding with many spiritual blessings. Consider these things. Rags to riches is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. And in verse eight, he goes, I'm not speaking this as a command. I'm not telling you, I'm not ordering you to give, Corinthian church, evergreen church. You're not commanded to give. Verse nine, yet someone needed to pay the price. Verse nine, I'm not, verse eight says, I'm not speaking this as a command. For you know the grace, verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake, Corinthians, yet your sake, Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley, he became poor so that you through his poverty, his transformation, might become rich. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Sister Nikki Wong read Philippians 2, which talks about how Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Let's, if you're a guest, understand this. Jesus Christ is God. And he set aside some of his divine privileges and took on human flesh. We can't even imagine what that's like, to be eternal God and to be put into the womb of a peasant girl named Mary as a baby and to take on human flesh, lived and raised in as a peasant under Joseph and Mary, the king of the universe, the king of heaven, is now living as a peasant under Joseph and Mary. In serving the master, he became the slave. Instead of ordering, he humbled himself to obedience to the point of death, even death on the cross, Nikki read out of Philippians 2. Jesus paid it all. I mean, as we even sung prior to the sermon, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And this is what we're talking about. When we sing these songs, we're reminding ourselves and praising God for the price that he paid. There is no greater love. There is no greater love than the Sam Storm. Again, on Jonathan Edwards writes, Edwards, like every believer, has been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, and has no claim to anything in himself or regarding himself. Neither he, talking about Edwards, nor we, talking about us, have any right to look at whatever we please. We don't have the right to say, this is a free country, I could look at whatever I want. Nor think whatever we please. I'm my own person. I've got to be myself. I want to think how I want to think. That doesn't make sense. does not compute in the Christian world. Or sleep with whomever, whomever we please. It's talking about purity. We don't just get to do all that, whether in our minds or in, in our acts. Nor spend our money however we please. I earned this. This is my hard-earned money. I could do whatever I want. No, not really. Nor pursue whatever career. Or course in life suits our fancy, Sam Storm writes. In other words, we consider Jesus in every decision of our lives. So what does grace giving look like? Say, Pastor, I get it. I get it. Like, what does this now look like? Christ paid it all. This is not prodding from the pastor. This is not guilting anyone to give anything or competing with others. The motivation to, for, in grace giving is a deep love for the Lord. It's Savior motivated. You give because you love the Lord Jesus Christ so much. And you realize how much he paid for you and how much he loved you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one only begotten son, the Bible says. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us. It's no longer I have to give, but as we meditate on the love of Christ, now it's like I get to give. It's a big transformation there. That's what the Lord, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart, the heart. That's what he's seeing. Yes, you can see why it makes perfect sense to give to the Lord. I mean, you see why Christians would feel so compelled because if you're a guest, right, you think, who would give? I mean, the price of eggs, the price of gas, all that's expensive. What would possess Christians to give? Well, this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ, God himself, the creator of the universe, actually died for us. We actually believe this. 
This is a fact. He purchased a sinner. He redeemed a ransom. He bought the sinner back. The eternal son died for a created man. And if you're a guest, my encouragement to you is this. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ today. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Know that upon death you will be in eternity with him, not separated from him in hell. And Jesus Christ, you may be thinking, well, pastor, you don't know me. I just walked in. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my wife knows. You don't know what my children know. You don't know what God knows. Well, I know this. That Jesus Christ, the eternal one, is enough to pay for your sins, your debt. It required an eternal being who took on human flesh to die for countless men and women. Jesus Christ can and will redeem you if you put your trust in him, if you give your life to him. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. I've been hearing a lot about bank failures lately. Perhaps you have to move your money over because you, you got wind that your bank is closing down. So people have been giving me advice like, hey, you got to move it or lose it. You got to move it or lose it. Well, I think this is a preview of things to come. Proverbs 23, 5 says, earthly wealth will make wings like an eagle that flies towards heaven. Your wealth is going to leave you someday. It may not be because of this banking crisis, but the Lord is closing the world's economy someday. Someday your dollars, your cryptocurrency, whatever you have, your stocks are not going to be worth anything. There's going to be a foreclosure on the world's banks here someday when the Lord comes back. And this moves us into our fourth point, and we're going to start moving fairly rapidly. Grace giving is sacrificial, self-willed, Savior motivated. And fourthly, grace giving is spiritually profitable. Verse 10, and I give my opinion in this matter, for this is profitable for you who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. For this is profitable for you. It's just like investing in heaven's bank and investing in heaven's stocks. Those stocks, those accounts don't go away. Those stocks will be kept and understood for eternity. In, in other words, you trade in some earthly currency for heavenly currency. This is what you're doing by participating in grace giving. This is not the prosperity gospel. We're not a prosperity gospel church either. If you're wondering if I give to the church, I'll be blessed. No, that's not what we're talking about. You give to the church, you'll be healed. That's not what we're talking about. You give to the church, you'll triple your bank account. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual prosperity. So how does this happen in Christians? Fairly quickly, I would say, it grows your trust in the Lord. The more you give to the church, the more you give to the work of the Lord, you start trusting how, wow, Lord, you still provide for my children's college. Wow, Lord, you still provided for the rent. Wow, Lord, you provided for me still to be generous with my family. Wow, Lord, you still provided a car that I needed. The Lord provides what you need. He's not a stingy God who's waiting for you to suffer. He's trying to grow your faith. He's coming after your faith. This is what he wants to do. Number two, you'll grow your heavenly rewards. Bible talks about having crowns in heaven. 
And, and, and one of my most prized possessions on an earth level is a Super Bowl ring. But that thing's gonna melt someday. It's not gonna matter. It's not gonna matter. What's going to matter someday, brothers and sisters, when we're in heaven, when we have walking trophies walking around? What is a walking trophy? Men and women and children that you've invested in, whether in personally or through giving, that came to know the Lord. They, by the way, when you're generous in your 30s, I came to know Christ through this church member of your church, and he helped me to understand Christ. Hey, by the way, I was struggling in my faith, and while you're giving to this ministry, I grew my faith. Thank you. Those are the treasures, those are the trophies that we're talking about. Heavenly treasures that are walking. And we may not know these treasures on this side of eternity. Giving to Evergreen Church, our central theme is discipleship, meaning we want to see people come to Christ. We want to help people grow in Christ's likeness. This is what we're about. And not everyone gets to preach, not everyone gets to be a missionary, but everyone gets to preach through their giving. This is how this works. You support the work of the word, work of the ministry in other places. And I love how bags are being passed out today because that's a corporate reminder of our dependence upon the Lord. It's a corporate reminder how we're saying I'm, I'm, we're investing into heaven's treasures as a group. Certainly this giving, there's a, this private I don't know who gives. I don't want to know who gives. I don't care about that necessarily. But Jesus knows. And Jesus is using it and he's keeping receipts to, so you can reward you someday in heaven. Let's move to our fifth point here. Grace giving is sacrificial, self-willed, savior motivated, spiritually profitable, and it's sincere. Verse 11 and 12 says, like Nike says, you thought about doing it, now just do it, okay? Verse 11, just do it, okay? That sums up verse 11 in a nutshell. You thought about doing it, you talked about doing it, you say you're gonna pray about it, you even wrote it down, now just do it. That's what the Bible's saying. That's what Paul's saying. Now, Corinthians, just do it. And verse 12 says this, what is uh, sincere giving? Not only do you do it, but verse 12, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Give according to your ability. Do it and now give according to your ability. And providence dictates, pastor, how much? I don't know. Providence dictates this because he gives you a certain level of ability. You have a certain level of responsibilities to care for people, maybe your parents, maybe your children, whatever it is. Some people have more responsibility than others. God knows this. It's not about your potential earning. It's not when I graduate out of college, just how much I should earn. It's none of that. It's what you have now, what you have today, according to your ability, the Bible says. Adrian Rogers says this, it's not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So what is sincere giving? You do it, and you do it according to your ability. It's plain and simple. Let's move on to our sixth point. Grace giving is sacrificial, self-willed, Savior motivated, spiritually profitable, sincere, and shared. Grace giving is shared. 
verse 13 and 15 says that we get to share, for this is not for the relief of others and for your affliction. This is not to burden you, Evergreen Church, he's saying, but by way of equality, fairness. At this present time, your abundance is being a supply for their need. Whoever is in need, we're able to meet those needs so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. That means that grace giving means that we get to share in the opportunity. We get to share in the responsibility. We get to be part of the great commission, all of us, through our giving. This is not communism, okay? We're not saying let's pool our monies and become communists. This is not that, okay, if you're worried about that. This is for the common good of the church. This is for the common good of the church so that we could have a greater impact together. Individually, we could have impact, but collectively, we have greater impact that impacts the kingdom. I mean, this is an incredible time in the life of Evergreen Baptist Church. I mean, someday I think we're going to be remembering those early years. <laughs> remember those early, remember that transition. And I'm grateful for so many, I see so many faithful faces that's kind of hung on here and it's been incredible. And I see you guys, I'm, I see those eyes and that motivates me, that encourages me. Just want you to know that church. Because for newer people and guests, understand this. There have been people giving faithfully, sacrificially what we're talking about for decades. For decades. Here's an illustration of that. Illustration of this. In 2007, we moved on to this property. I think the last time I talked about this was probably 2019. But in 2007, we moved on to this wonderful property right in the central located in the San Gabriel Valley for a moving cost of $23 million. That's quite a... It makes you want to wince right there listening to that, right? $23 million. Some faithful members here have been giving to, uh, to the building fund for 15 years of sacrificial giving. Praise God, we're under $5 million now, and uh, now we get to share in this. We're basically standing on the shoulders on the backs of those who've been faithfully giving for many years. And we, we get to be part of this now. We get to join in on this. It's a phenomenal opportunity. We get to say to one another, wow, what a great thing, that, the legacy that we have, but also that we get to continue. The Lord is gracious. Finally, the final point here. I told you we go fast in the last four points, but grace giving is, I'm going to review, I'm going to go through it all again, sacrificial. Grace giving is self-willed. Grace-giving is Savior-motivated. Grace-giving is spiritually profitable. Grace-giving is sincere. Grace-giving is shared. And finally, this is important, grace-giving is safeguarded. This is important that we understand. Why are we talking about this? Well, because Paul talks about it here. This is not an add-on point on my own or some conventional wisdom. This is biblical wisdom here. Verse 16 through 19, Paul says, now I'm going to send Titus to collect the gift. Not only I'm going to send Titus, I'm going to send the famous gospel worker with them, unnamed, but they all knew who he was talking about. Titus and his gospel worker. And in verse uh, 22, he says, by the way, another man of high character is coming too to collect the funds. That's three people, Titus, the famous gospel worker, a Billy Graham type of guy that everybody knew, and then a third faithful brother, verse 22. Why, Paul? 
I mean, aren't you the apostle Paul? Can't you just order them to give and don't worry about it? You are the one handpicked by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. Even at that, Paul shares his heart and he understands the sensitivity of giving funds. Verse 20 and 21, turn your eyes. This is the heart of Paul here, the heart of God also. Taking precaution, lest anyone discredit us in our ministering of this generous gift. Taking precaution to make sure there's no view, no perception of misconduct. The last thing you want to do is discredit gospel ministry. The last thing you want to do. Verse 21, for we respect what is good. Paul respects what is good. Not only in the sight of the Lord. First, it starts with what does God think, obviously. But also in the sight of men. Man looks at the outward appearance. That's the point. Man looks at the outward appearance. It's important, okay? We don't want to cause people to stumble. At Evergreen, how do we apply this principle of being above reproach, what Paul is talking about? We have pastors who help design the budget. We have pastors who help design the budget. And matter of fact, we have executive board members, four laymen who have come alongside to help oversee these things, who help design and approve the budget to be presented to the congregation to vote on, to present it to the membership to vote on. And just want you to know that the pastors and the executive board team, we've been praying through the membership list. This is every single member that we have at Evergreen Baptist Church, every formal member. And I want to be, I'm so excited to report to you, our pastors, we've completed praying for every single person by name. And this, this next Tuesday, we'll start from the, from the top again, and we're going to be uh, adjusting because we have new members. We have other members who aren't members anymore, so we've been adjusting this list. We've been praying. The executive board team is praying through this list as well when we gather. We have counters. When whatever was given in the bags, in the back uh, of the boxes, we have lay counters who faithfully count as a group what is brought in. Multiple, not just one person, right? Just like Titus, the gospel worker, and another guy. And then we have trustees who steward whatever is given, our stocks, making sure things are paid, other maintenance of the property, multiple men and women who are above reproach as well. Also, we have internal and external auditors. We have an internal auditor who sees how the checks are written. We have an external auditor that comes and observes what happens at Evergreen Baptist Church. This is important. This is important that we safeguard the gospel ministry. This is critical. And what type of people are we looking for to serve in those capacities? Well, let's, let's look at verse 23. We're almost finished here. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. I mean, I know Titus, he's saying. He's a gospel guy. He's about Jesus Christ. He's honest. He's above reproach. He's an elder type of guy. As for our brothers, the famous gospel worker and the other brother, they are messengers or, or apostolos, sent out ones, those who are sent out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. A glory to Christ, meaning all three men are above reproach in their character. But not only that, church, 
We not only do you want to avoid moral failure, church, this is what you need to be asking me and other leaders. How's our spending going to gospel ministry? It's no good giving and all of a sudden, yeah, it's spent properly or, or honestly, but honestly to the wrong things. You need to make sure our, the gospel is going to the great, uh, God, the gospel is being funded and we're funding the Great Commission. Verse 24 finally says this, therefore, openly before the churches, before everybody, show them the proof of your love, your love for Christ and for the church, evergreen, and of our reason for boasting about you. We've always been known as a generous church. We've always, in a good sense of the word, boasted about that. I'm grateful. It's all by God's grace. Look what Paul says right there. Right? So finally, in conclusion, you may be asking, all right, pastor, you got me. <laughs> what does grace giving look like? Here's the practical outworkings. I give you the heart. I spent a lot of time on the heart and some of the administration of it. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. One verse I think sums it all up. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says this, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Not I have to, but I get to. For God loves a cheerful giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. What does grace giving look like? I believe you should give to your local church. If you're a guest, a Christian, give to your local church. If you're a member and a committed person of Evergreen, invest into Evergreen Baptist Church. Why? This is where you get to primary teaching. Why? Because we have leaders praying and over your souls and discussing the condition of how you're doing with, our, with ourselves. We follow up through emails and other things. Why? This is your covenanted community. This is my church family. Not exclusively giving to Evergreen, but primarily to Evergreen, I would say. Awesome if you want to support other ministries. Number two, it's free will and joyful as you purpose in your heart before God, give it. Between you and the Lord, commit to it and give it, and give it in a regular way. It's intentional. It's not haphazard. It's intentional. This is what, it's, it's budgeted into your lifestyle. This is how I'm sacrificially giving. And then joyful, right? You're cheerful about it. You're happy about it. You are worshiping the Lord. You're treasuring Christ in it. And I always recommend this. This is just a thought to consider. Seek wise counsel. Talk to somebody about your giving. Maybe not me, but somebody amongst yourselves. Talk to somebody and share it, whether your struggles or this is what, how does this look like for you? Talk to one another, right? Talk to one another. Our Lord is great. <laughs> really, it comes back to how much do you treasure the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to save you and me to be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to preach on grace giving. First and foremost, Father, thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you that we weren't bought with perishable things of silver and gold, but we were bought with the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for you say, for you love the world and you sent your one and only son. Father, forgive us for not treasuring Christ more, taking Christ for granted. Forgive us 
for allowing money to own us to certain levels, putting too much trust in our money. Father, will you grow our faith, grow our grace giving, Lord, grow our affections for your son, our love for your, your, your son, Lord. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.